from the book of Romans. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of people knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Our second reading for this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah. Listen now for God's word to you. O God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, And the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble in your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways. But you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like the one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one today who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hands of iniquity. Yet, O Lord, yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember our iniquity forever. Now consider that we are all your people, we pray. The older I get, the more my religious belief becomes less orthodox and more about the questions than the answers. Which is why one of my favorite theological commentaries is children's letters to God. The third chapter of the little book is titled Fervent Wishes and Complaints. A few examples. Dear God, how come you did all those miracles in the old days and you don't do any today? Tommy. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have? Jane. And finally, this one. Dear God, are you real? Some people don't believe it. If you are, then you better do something quick. Love, Harriet Ann. Dear God, you better do something quick.
quick. That sounds a whole lot like the prophet Isaiah in our second reading, O Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. O Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, a.k.a. help. That, I submit, is the oldest, original, and most recited prayer in the world. I guarantee you it is prayed thousands of times every day and in every single language on earth. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. The Israelites were no exception. The political situation back then was as follows. The armies of Babylon had devastated their lives. Entire families were taken into exile where they remained for several generations. Years later, the Persian Empire defeated the Babylonians, at which point the Israelites were allowed to go back to home sweet home. And then it happened, when they finally got there, their hearts were broken. The city had been leveled, the temple torched, devastation as far as the eye could see. Today's equivalent would be Ukraine, Israeli, and Palestinian families returning to their blown-away neighborhoods. Oh, Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. It is the oldest prayer in human history, and I guarantee you we've all prayed it at one time or another. When the test comes back positive, when the job ends, when the marriage falls apart, the miscarriage, or when a loved one suddenly passes away. We think it or we say it, oh, Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. For the past 25 years, I have been called to homes after someone has passed away, oftentimes getting there way before the ambulance or the hearse, or to a hospital to be with families holding hands around a person's bed, a loved one who is being removed from life support. And believe me, each time I walk into those situations, I pray those ancient words, oh Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. I pray them because the truth is I'm not qualified. I wasn't qualified back then, and I'm still not qualified. All the school in the world, all the role-playing, all the books, all the little degrees behind my last name doesn't matter in those times. It doesn't matter because anything I say breaks under the weight of profound grief. O oh Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. It's the oldest prayer in human history, and that I submit to you this morning is what makes it so powerful. That's because it invokes one of the greatest paradoxes of the Judeo-Christian faith. When something devastating has happened, instead of saying to ourselves, I've got this, we become vulnerable. Our first reading for this morning put it eloquently. The Spirit helps us in our vulnerability, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. It's beautiful, with sighs too deep for words. A couple of weeks ago, I stood up here and recalled how years ago I wrote my childhood neighbor, Sandra Day O'Connor, a letter asking her if she ever prayed before a big Supreme Court decision. O'Connor died, as you know, two days ago. And when I heard the news, I had already chosen the first reading for today. It was already printed. 
The Spirit helps us in our vulnerability, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Well, as I said, much to my surprise, O'Connor wrote me back, and after affirming my being a minister, she went on to answer that question. Dear Richard, you asked me if I ever prayed before a big decision. Indeed, I do a lot. Truth be told, the decisions I make are oftentimes breathtaking. The decisions I make are oftentimes breathtaking. But the Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. In decisions and in situations that are oftentimes breathtaking. Oh Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Now, after shouting that lament, after repenting of any wrongdoing and even accusing God of hiding, the prophet Isaiah suddenly invokes one of the most beautiful images in the entire Bible. Yet you, O Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the works of your hands. When we pray that ancient prayer, the Spirit of God comes down where it molds and shapes our decisions and prepares us to be the right people in the right moment. And in those moments, we won't preach like Peter, and we won't pray like Paul. And in those gut-wrenching moments, we will not say, I've got this, but God will. One of the finest examples of that was an article by Ann Halstein a couple of years ago. The incident took place while she was a chaplain on duty at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City. She wrote, I was called to the emergency room where an eight-year-old boy had been brought in by his mother in a taxi cab, shot in the head by her boyfriend. The boy had no chance of surviving, but the team was working on him while his mother and aunt sat nearby in a tiny closet of a room. When I opened the door to join them, fear pounding in my heart, I saw not two women, but two girls, two teenage girls clinging to each other as vulnerable and alone as I had ever seen anyone look. They were in shock, obviously. I introduced myself, sat down, and had no idea what to say next. Any words I could think of seemed not only insufficient, but profane. I fumbled and tried to react in some appropriate way. Suddenly the door was thrown open and their neighbor, a large woman about 6'2", stepped in, filling the room with her entire presence. She grabbed the two sisters by crooking her massive arms around their necks and pulling them to her, calling them her babies. And then in a commanding voice full of authority, she ordered Jesus to come into the room right this minute. Come in here, Jesus. My babies need you, and they need you now. I don't mean later. I don't mean in 10 minutes. I mean now. Oh, Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Halcyon concludes with this. As I looked on with wonder and great admiration, I felt the energy in that room change. A calm came over all of us, and the mother stopped crying and moaning. Their neighbor continued to hold them in her vice-like elbows, rocking them back and forth. I stood up, put my arms around them all, and joined in the rocking. 
We swayed there together in one mass for 10 or 20 minutes. I had no sense of time or place. All I felt was the love of this woman and the love of God as she had so forcefully and so effectively called God into that room. After that, she left, but the palpable sense of love and comfort remained long after her presence and long after we got the sad news about the boy. O Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. That bottom line is what Christmas is all about. The Spirit of God coming down to earth in the birth of a vulnerable little child. A child who grew up and instead of saying, I've got this, became even more vulnerable. A person vulnerable to other people's suffering, completely vulnerable to the religious and political establishment of the day, a vulnerable, innocent young man who was tortured, mocked, and nailed to a cross. And the resurrection, as we all know, is God's way of saying, it's not over till it's over, that in the end, love always wins. Oh, Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And this season we call Advent is about the birth of Jesus, to be sure. But it's also, especially during these next few weeks, about watching and waiting for the second coming of Christ. We've been waiting that for hap- to happen for over 2,000 years, but it still hasn't come. He still hasn't come. Or has he? So perhaps we have it backwards. Perhaps Christ is waiting for us to be his second coming, his second and third and fourth and on and on rebirth into this world. That is the whole purpose of communion. When we eat the bread and we drink the juice, his life courses through our veins and we become him. We become the body of Christ in the world. In our vulnerability, in our lack of qualifications, we hang ourselves out there. We hang ourselves out there and allow his spirit to mold and shape us. So together we can mold and shape a better world.